Well, so this is our last Sunday in John chapter 6. The lectionary has us spending five weeks over a month in John 6. That's significant. And so we've preached four times now, this will be the fourth time, from John chapter 6. So join with me as you turn in your copy of Scripture to the Gospel according to John chapter 6. And it's going to be there on the screen as well, but if you want something right in front of you, there are Bibles spread out throughout the sanctuary. Because we, in fact, do believe in the Word of God. We believe it is inerrant. We believe it is infallible and it is for us. And so we cherish it, we read from it, we speak it to one another and we preach from it and even worship around it. So <laughs> it, is, it is our authoritative document. Now, notice these words here as we're reading the end of this grand passage uh, of chapter 6. Jesus, as you know, has been in quite a dialogue here with uh, well, as he's teaching at the synagogue. So notice these words here in John chapter 6. Pick up with me, starting with verse 56. And let's all stand for our gospel reading. This is the word of God. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father... So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve... Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Lord, we come to your word hungry and in need of you, whether we realize it or not. We trust what you say here, that you are true food and true drink to us. You are the bread of life that came down from heaven. 
We are gathered here before you. Feed us now, we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we've seen how Jesus uses signs. And these signs are important, particularly in the Gospel of John. John highlights seven key signs. And then all of the Gospels will show the greatest of all of the signs. And that is the resurrection of Jesus. It's Easter. That is the sign that proves above all else that he is God. Because only he could die and arise again. Not be resuscitated. It's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about his body was dead. No pulse. Cells dead. And then he came back to life with a glorified body. That's why he was able to walk through walls and yet could eat with them. We also have seen already in this chapter, and it it is quite a long chapter, uh, that Jesus has multiplied a little lunch into something big, big enough to feed over 5,000 people. Now, that was just 5,000 men. So when you count just the men, I mean, most of the people were married and, again, fertile. So we're talking about a lot of people. And we're told elsewhere in the other Gospels that there was also a feeding of the 4,000. Again, with little that was multiplied into much. Because that's what Jesus does. That's what God's about. Taking what is little, maybe to us in our eyes, and multiplying it. (laughs) And we've seen him cross over the Sea of Galilee here. uh, Which at times can be a turbulent sea. Uh, which C represents chaos often. And, and in fact, this did happen, remember? In the middle of the night, he comes, instead of splitting the waters as he did for Moses and the Israelites, he comes walking on top of the water. Because he's the kind of God who never changes, but is always doing something new. Well, this too is symbolic of sorts because, you know... He, he does these two signs here, both the walking on the water and the multiplication of the bread, crosses over the waters, through the waters, if you will, symbolically of baptism, and then begins to speak to none other than this meal, this Eucharistic meal, this body of his flesh that will go to the cross to be for us the Passover lamb. Which there's just so much there. I mean, this, this is just, if you've ever read the Gospel of John, I know people say like, oh, if you're a new Christian, you should start in the Gospel of John. And I'm like, yes, do that. But if you're an old Christian, or maybe more specifically, mature Christian, like, start in the Gospel of John. It is heavy. It is the deep end. As the last Gospel, it is not one of the synoptic Gospels. It doesn't follow the same flow as the others. And it is deep and theological. I mean, just imagine how we always want what is very practical. And when Jesus, the very last night that he is with his disciples, you know, I probably would have been like, hey guys, listen, let me just give you 
five practical points here on how to keep following me even when things get tough. Here we go. Number one. No. What does Jesus do from from chapter 13 all the way to 17? He talks about the Holy Trinity. It is literally the deepest theological insights we have in all of Scripture of who God is. That Jesus was sent from the Father. That he's returning to the Father. Because he has to go away because he has to send now the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit won't come unless he leaves. And when the Spirit comes, he will remind who? The church of what Jesus taught. And will fill them with the power of God. The same power that Jesus had in his earthly ministry and more. You say, and more? That's blasphemous. Well, it's according to Jesus' own words. Who says, you will do greater things than I? How? Because we now are the body of Christ. Not not some Christ different from the one we're reading about now. But of the true and living Jesus Christ. Who is the second person of the Holy Trinity. And so he gives us this unbelievable treatise... ...on the Holy Trinity and the nature of God. That's what he leaves his disciples with. Not a five-step program. And I get it. We, that's what we want, you know. Is if you're going through a tough time, you know... ...there's a million articles, ten things to do when you're depressed... ...or six things to do when things aren't going well. When you're angry, five things to do. Whatever it is. There's a million things out there. This passage... Jesus, throughout the Gospel of John, distills it down into one. And that is, I am, period. (laughs) Now, this statement of I am in the Greek, ego, me, which is I, I, myself, is what he's saying, is absolutely reminiscent of the divine name given to Moses... Yahweh, which we really don't even know how to pronounce it, to be honest with you, because the Jews lost the pronunciation of it because they were too afraid to say his holy name. In other words, they respected the divine name so much that they never said it out loud. Therefore, we actually don't know how to pronounce Yahweh. We think it's Yahweh, Yahweh. It's just four letters, which is called the tetragrammaton in the Hebrew, because it's just one, two, three, four letters, but there's probably stuff in between it. The point is, though, when Jesus comes, he reveals the divine name. Jesus, which means Savior. Joshua in Hebrew, right? (laughs) He is Savior. Now look, five-step things. Eight principles of this, you know, these are all helpful. But if we try all of this, we're just eating the junk food rather than the main thing, who is Christ. Wellness, health only happens in Him. He is true food, He is true drink. Jesus repeated this multiple times in this passage. And so, when 
Jesus can really clear it up here at the end. Right? So here's Jesus teaching, it says, in the synagogue, much like what's happening here. And here at the end, I'm sure some of his disciples, they've already challenged some of the things in the text. We've, we've looked at that the past two weeks. They've already challenged certain things. Hang on now, are you saying this? Are you? And he's, he's clarifying. Now is the time when Jesus can really clarify, okay, I'm not actually talking about eating my flesh and blood. But does he? They say, hey guys, listen, this is just symbolic. Like, chill out for just a second. Calm down. Don't go anywhere. It's just symbolic. It's just, yeah, just symbol. Don't worry about it. No, in fact, he doubles down, doesn't he? You can be like, yeah, he actually does. Again, <laughs> Shockingly, whoever feeds on my flesh. Now, I've mentioned this before. I'll say it again. This is one of the only places in the New Testament where in the Greek, and look, I'm not an expert at Greek, and I'm not trying to be like all smart and everything. I just find this fascinating. He used this term when it says eat, chew, gnaw. It's actually reserved for animals and not for humans. When you would typically say, do you want to eat with me? It would, that would be a proper thing, right? Not, do you want to gnaw with me? But the term here is gnaw. It's the language of animals. Which is pretty brutish. It's not dignified. <laughs> it's basic. And I think that's the point, though. We are to chew. We are to put it in our mouth and drink it. Yes, it's symbolic. And yes, it's actual. Both at the same time. Much like the incarnation itself. God, who is invisible, invisible is before them now visible. <laughs> and so, it's a hard saying. And it's hard for us. It's truly a mystery, which is really what a sacrament is. A sacrament is a mystery. In the Greek, it is mysterium, which is mystery. It's both sign pointing to reality. You know, this ring, uh, well, I may not be able to get it off because it's summer. There we go. Um, this thing has been with me for 17 years now. Fact check. And it, you know, it, here's the thing, there's, you know, there's not, nothing super special about the ring. It cost actually I think like $40. It's a stainless steel, Triton steel um, wedding band. And it's a symbol of our marriage. You know, when people see me out and about, they can see that I got a ring on. And they say, oh, well, that dude is married. Um, even if I were to take it off, you could still see that I'm married. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like a permanent uh, <laughs> untanned place on me. But if I were to lose this ring, it would be pretty devastating, to be honest with you. Because I have had it for a long time. But that wouldn't mean that my marriage is gone. Because this is, after all... 
a symbol pointing to a reality. For pagan people, polytheistic worship, the sign is the reality. The symbol is the, that's the way magic works. And I'm not going to go into all that right now. But for Christians, the symbol deeply matters. It's not insignificant. This couldn't be replaced with a little circular gummy thing that's going to rot off after a few days or weeks. There is symbolism in the fact that it's stainless steel and that it's circular, has no beginning or end, and all these sorts of things. But it is not the reality. But it points to that reality. Point being is this. We we can't do communion any way we want. It's not possible. To bring out Coke and pizza and say it's communion is not true. No, the sign matters. It points to a reality. And even when we partake of it, it's not like magic where if we just have the sign, oh, I'm happily married just because I have this ring. That's untrue too. There must be a happy marriage that is being pointed to in the eternality of this ring, symbolically. All right, now I know we're in the deep end. Anybody drown yet? Okay, good. We're still, because look, I got floaties on too, you know what I mean? Like, trust me, this passage has deeply challenged me. But stay with me for a second longer. Here's the point. Believing our faith what is spiritual, our belief, is eating. So when Jesus says, eat of me, he says, believe in me. It's the same thing. It's synonymous. And, catch this, eating is believing. (laughs) So when we do the actual practical thing, we're, we're joining it to the spiritual thing. Do you see? The physical and the spiritual are being made one in us. There's no magic here. There's an incarnational principle here, friend. And that is that the God of heaven, who is not matter, he's not a tree, he's not a dog, he's not a mountain. He made all those things. He is not those things. He is not the creation. And yet, that same God became part of his creation. The second person of the Holy Trinity, who is the Son of God, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. And that one who, at the beginning of John, John tells us, no one has seen God at any time. But the Son of God, he reveals God. God is not going to be revealed in your life through taking a nature walk. Not in this fundamental way. Now hear me out. I love nature walks. When I'm sitting at the... Well, when we took a trip out west went to the Grand Canyon, it was one of the more sacred moments in my life. I went out early, they were all still asleep, to see the sunrise. And there were hundreds of people there. And guess what? I I mean, who knows how many of them truly knew the living God? I have no idea. But here's what I do know. No one was speaking a word. As the sun was coming up, no one said a word. People tried to hold back coughs. They didn't want to say anything. It wasn't just because it was early. 
It was because they knew something sacred was happening in this deep canyon that could not have simply been formed by accident. There was something here greater than them, way greater and deeper and wider. Now, the problem becomes one could experience God in these naturalistic moments, but they would be groping still for the truth because only faith in Jesus Christ and subsequently the Holy Trinity brings light. Does that make sense? Everybody with me? It doesn't mean that people that aren't even Christians don't somehow experience something holy. They do because guess what? The Holy One created it all. They experience, I mean, sometimes we get this idea, oh yeah, if they're lost, they have no idea what love is, no idea. No, no, I, that, I don't think that's true. But they have not met love. Yes, yes. And they're still groping around in the dark. This is where the church comes in, shining our little light. This is where a church like Harvest Point, a small church... I think the Lord wants to multiply our light. That may not mean we become a megachurch one day. I I honestly have no idea what he wants to do. It's his church. We're trying to follow him. Pastor Bruce and I have been praying. We've been planning. We've been trying to do the right thing. But at the end of the day, we're following somebody else. And they're leading. Not our own. Anything good that's created here, any grace that's extended here is not from Marshall Dagg. I can tell you that right now, which I just did. No, it's coming from above. (laughs) Which is exactly what he says, right? This is the bread that came down from heaven and has now become physical. And you know what? I think, friends, this is the problem they had. It actually is difficult to think that the living God, follow me, that the living God of the universe, the creator of all humans, including you, is here in this place. In his full presence. By the power of the Spirit. Represented in things like bread, probably from Kroger. Juice. Made from Welch's, I assume. With people that look like me and you. Trying to look kind of nice today, but, you know, some of us still struggle. I was, I was trying to get my hair ready this morning. I'm like, my hair just isn't doing right today. I don't, I'm going to look super weird before you today, you know, and it just is what it is. It's hard for us to look at one another and think Christ is dwelling in that person. Is anybody feeling me with this? I think when Jesus makes these statements, the the point of contention becomes the fact that we don't really believe that what has come down from heaven can actually indwell in a physical, material person before us today. And we discount it. And we throw it to the side. And we doubt it and not believe. Now, I get it. When I look at my own life, 
my own skill sets, the resources that I have up here in the head, I often feel like I'm far behind all of those that are my age. And it's depressing. But you know what? That's not the measurement, is it? Is that our bedrock? Other people? Other people our age? Other people in America? No, that's not the bedrock, friend. The foundation is none other than Jesus Christ himself, who says, I am the bread of life. I am true food. Eat of me. Don't eat of this stuff on the media. Don't eat of this stuff on social media. Let the media of your life be the mediator. Who alone is Christ Jesus. And so, belief is spiritual. Eating is physical. We do both because we are both. (laughs) And our world has forgotten this. Well, our text today challenges us on this point and tells us plainly, at least plainly for these Jews that were there at this teaching, that Jesus is the greater Moses. You know, I mean, Moses is kind of a big deal in the Bible. Scratch that. Moses is a big deal in our world. Did you know that? There's over half of the population and growing rapidly that would trace their faith back to Moses. I'm talking about Jews, Christians, and Muslims. In fact, the three monotheistic faiths are only monotheistic because of the Old Testament. There are no other documents in all of religion that don't get their monotheism from any other place than the Old Testament. And most of the time it's a pseudo-monotheism. There's only three religions that actually emerge with a true monotheistic theological understanding. And it's those three religions I just mentioned. And guess who's at the center of the center one? Christianity. It's Jesus Christ. It's even named after him. We're all about him. And of course, you know that here at this church. At least if you spend any amount of time here, you should know that. We make a big deal about Jesus because he is a big deal. For the Jews, no one was bigger than Moses. No one. In fact, notice, notice what is said here in Exodus 33. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. That's powerful. Notice these words in Numbers. And he said, now listen to what I say. And this is when he was getting on to Moses' brother and sister, Aaron and Miriam. And he said, now listen to what I say. If there were prophets among you, notice this, I, the Lord, would reveal myself in visions. I would speak to them in dreams. Yeah, every once in a while somebody says, hey, I got a vision. I got a dream that the Lord gave me. Cool. Not so with my servant Moses. It's not how I speak to him. I might speak to other prophets like that, not to Moses. He's special. He's unique. Notice this. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth. Can one get any closer? I always think of that, uh, the image of, of like a baseball coach, you know, in an umpire's face. Uh, that's a pretty close conversation typically. It's right here nose to nose, isn't it? Kicking the dirt and doing all that kind of stuff, you know? It's like, that's a pretty heated, clear, (laughs) 
conversation. I don't think there's any timidity there. God says, that's how I speak to Moses. Clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds, notice this, the form of Yahweh. Why then were you not afraid to speak again? Yeah, so anyway, that's the rest. (laughs) He's now getting on to him again. The point, Moses was the greatest prophet up to this point. The law came through Moses. The instructions of God. The divine name. God did not give his divine name to Abraham as much as he liked Abraham. Or Isaac or Jacob or Joseph. But he does to Moses. He also gives manna from heaven. Bread from heaven through, guess who? Oh, Moses. Water from a rock from, guess who? Oh, Moses. Which is why if you read the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, carefully, you will have the framework for the rest of the Bible. It's all there. The whole thing. You even have the beginnings of baptism in crossing through the waters of the Red Sea into new life. Get it? And you have a meal that's given to them, right? A meal of remembrance. The Passover meal. Do this to remember me. Sound reminiscent? On Passover is when he does it. But then notice what is said here in Deuteronomy. Which, by the time Moses writes Deuteronomy, by the way, he's old. He's 120 years old. And you know... (laughs) Uh, I had an older guy recently tell me, he's like, you know, when you get old, you can just do what you want. Nobody says anything. He says he saw this older lady that went to a funeral, and I've seen this before, not, not the second part I'm going to tell you, but just long lines at a funeral. And, she, and he said there was this super long line. He'd been waiting in there for an hour. And this old lady just comes in, walks all the way to the front, visits at the casket, and leaves. No one said a word. Why? Because she's old, that's why. Nobody's going to say, when you're old, I mean, you just get to do what you want. I mean, you say what you want, and everybody's just like, yep, they're old. That's right. Um, If I would have tried to do that, I would have been scolded, you know? Everybody, I mean, I would have had death threats and stares as I'm coming out of the funeral home, but not that lady. And so here's Moses, 120 years old. He's old. He's going to speak what he's going to speak now. This is his end. All right? In fact, Deuteronomy, you know, means second law, right? Deutero to the second law, the second time the law is given. And the law is given twice here, right? Even the summary of the law is given here twice, remember? There's two copies of the Ten Commandments. Second one's here in Deuteronomy. Here's what he says in 18. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. Now, now just follow this train of thought. Because every Jew, as Jesus is talking about all this manna and, and your fathers are dead and they ate the bread from heaven, they're like, okay, what are you saying, big guy? Notice, for you, a prophet like me from among you, from your brother, it is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of Yahweh, your God at Horeb, Mount Sinai, on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord, my God, uh, for this is too great. Fire and and more, lest I die. And the Lord said to them, 
are said to me, Moses is saying, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. What's being said here? Here's what's being said. No one has ever seen God. Not even Moses. Even when he was speaking mouth to mouth, nose to nose, face to face, he still asked, can I see your glory, remember? What's going on? And God says, okay, yeah, well, here's the closest you'll get. I'll show you my back. And he flexes for him through a pass in the mountain. And by the way, go read Moses' response to that pass. It doesn't say, oh man, your trapezius muscles were ripped. And, you know, you were good and oiled up for a muscle show. That's not what, he only speaks about the character of God. You are gracious and compassionate. Lavishing love and mercy on thousands of generations of those who love you. Limiting the effects of sin to two or three generations. Thanks be to God. You know what that means? That means if you're in a generational curse that's been passed down and down and down, you can be the next one to pass on generationally for thousands the mercy of God. If you'd be willing to break that chain, if you'd be willing to eat of Christ. You see, the reality is this. Jesus is the name of God. In the flesh. Name means more than just name. It means character in the Bible. One's name. Just like in your life. Somebody says, oh yeah, the dag name. That means something to people. The blank name, whatever yours is. That means something. When people hear that, they associate it with character. Why? Because that's what a name is about. Jesus, again, is the name of God. You want to know what God looks like? Look in the face of Jesus. Where do we look in the face of Jesus? In his word. In his instructions to us. In his body, the church. Jesus is the bread that came down from heaven. He is to be consumed by us. Jesus is also the word of God. It doesn't mean that the Bible is Jesus. That's not what we're saying. The Bible points to Jesus, the right Jesus. So maybe applicationally, do you have the right Jesus that you're following? You know, we can make up idols of Jesus in our heads and hearts and worship a false Jesus. Paul consistently warns against this in his epistles. So, brothers and sisters, what's in your heart? Do you know this Jesus? Are you being discipled in his way? This week I was headed to a discipleship group. And I was in my truck, and my truck has a lot of issues, and it has had a lot of issues this year. And I've dropped a lot, of, lot more money than I want to mention. 
into this truck. But now it's kind of like once you do so much, you just have to stick with it because you're just going to lose money now if you don't. And so here I am driving my little truck. I, you know, I, I, I just got off the phone with Jessica, which always distracts me from whatever I was doing before. And so I'm just kind of cruising. Only got a few minutes. I'm running late. And all of a sudden, I have zero power in my truck. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm out of gas because my... Uh, gas gauge has been broken for years now, okay, <laughs> probably three years, and um, I consistently, you know, push the little thing and do the mileage. I've squeezed out as much as like 340 miles, but this day was around 330, and I realized I'm literally out of gas on Madison Boulevard with tons of traffic. There's a gas station, however, I mean, just to the door right over here, but there's traffic, so I'm like, literally no power, go to turn, no power in the steering wheel because it's all, and the truck is kind of big, you know, so I'm like, and I don't want to hit the brakes. Even when I hit the brakes, there's no help there either. It's crunch the brakes, all right? And I ease in between two cars, pull right up to the gas pump, and I'm thanking Jesus, you know, uh, for that moment. Now, I say that to you as, as kind of a little point in my life, but more importantly, the question kind of became to me as I was sitting there pumping my gas, Marshall, is your heart empty? Furthermore, what even, what kind of gauges gauge whether your heart is empty? You see, friends, we can make shipwreck of our faith, the scripture says. We can run aground. We can run out of gas, run out of fuel. We can dry up and wilt. And maybe you've been feeling like that. Maybe you feel like, I'm just out of gas, man. Just, and let me tell you, nothing works right when you're out of gas. You go to do something and just it doesn't work right. And I'll be honest with you, I... Uh, I've had to do some repenting this week and confessing. And just to be even more candid, not of just major sins that you'd be like, oh, man, wow, nothing like that, but of things deep in my heart that I don't even know how to communicate to you. I, I, don't, I don't really know what to say other than I found my own soul to be empty as my truck was empty because I stopped looking at the gauges. I got distracted in life. I let other things rush me around to where I had no fuel to go on. And let me just tell you, when you run out of fuel, you're going to stop. And you can put the cheap stuff in there. You can put water in there or something like that, thinking it's going to work. But you're not going to go anywhere. You're not going to get the thing cranked up on your own. You need the gas. What is the fuel of our life? Christ says it is himself. Nothing less. Not a, not a self-help book to read, not a counselor, as good as those things are. And I'm pouring those things into my own life. Not chatty friends, not a great article. No, Christ himself. Could I almost be blasphemous to say, not even more reading of the Bible? How about more practicing of the Bible? I know plenty of people that know it front to back. But the attitude doesn't match what's in the book. 
That only comes by the Spirit, friends. The Spirit is our fuel for existence. Without the Holy Spirit, (laughs) we're running on empty. We're out of gas. Repent, therefore, Peter says in Acts 3, repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing, hear this, may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive into the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by mouth and his holy prophets long ago. Jesus gives us the fuel of life who is his Holy Spirit. To be reconciled to to Christ. If Jesus is not the answer, East Stanley Jones said, then there is no answer. Do we live our lives that way? Or have we made Christ into something less than who he is? Do we pant for him? As the psalmist says, the deer pants for the water. Oh Lord, give us that kind of desire and hunger and thirst for you. Is Jesus greater than anything or anyone in your life? Is he the center right there in the throne room of our heart? Where do we run when everything falls apart? Many of his disciples, and this is a sad verse, John 6, 6, 6. Sad verse. says, many of his disciples at this point decided not to follow him any longer. That had to be painful. Many of his disciples said, yeah, no, this is too much. Done. Out. He turns to the 12, as you know, as we read, and he says, what about you guys? What are you going to do? And Peter, being the spokesman, says, says words that we need to hear today, and that is, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. In other words, we're already too invested to go back now. We're all in. Are you all in with Jesus? I mean, have you recklessly trusted him with your life? To whom shall we go? Go to him. Let him fill you with his spirit. Find every way to follow the way of Jesus in your life. That includes the church, which is his body. There is no decapitated Christianity where you don't have to be a part of his body and can just be a part of the head. That's impossible, friend. And ridiculous. No, it's... It, No, listen, it's it's nuts. I, I get it. Through the feeble words of humans, through the pretty good singing that we have to offer here, 
through the lighting and sheetrock and carpet squares and table and candles and water, bread, juice. God's grace can be extended to you and transform your life. You either believe that or you don't. By faith, I can declare to you with all of my heart, he is here in his fullness. Whether we can see him or not is a matter of faith. Whether we can receive or not is a matter of our eating and our drinking today. So, go to him. Let him fill you with his spirit. Let's believe and eat and drink in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.